0: this moment when you have this realization that you might be on the wrong path is quite emotional. I think a lot of times what happens is people talk about the mechanics or the practicalities of finding your next job, rewriting your CV or your resume, writing a good cover letter, interviewing effectively. But there is this really significant emotional arc that people go through. And and they actually go through these stages of career change. And it starts in quite a benign fashion. It goes from maybe people just feeling a little bit maybe disillusioned with their jobs, feeling like they're, they're, they maybe dislike their job, that they're maybe on the wrong career path to that, then evolving into full-blown dismay, where they realize that they're on the wrong career path
1: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help you navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search in order to change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Joseph Liu to the podcast. Joseph is a TEDx speaker, career consultant, and host of the Career Relaunch Podcast, His work has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Glassdoor, and he is dedicated to helping professionals bravely relaunch their careers. In today's conversation, we discuss healthy ways to shift your mindset from desperate to confident in your next career shift. We discuss how dabbling can lead to a wealthier life and what physical and mental markers you should look out for to prevent burnout. Thank you for tuning into this episode and supporting our show. Please enjoy this episode with Joseph Liu. So excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, you and I have very sort of similar backgrounds and similar, uh, I mean, yours is a bit more medical in some ways than mine, uh, but with the marketing and the entrepreneurial stuff, I, there's so much that I want to talk to you about today in regards to career development, career change, and really the issues that people are going through um, psychologically, and mentally, as, as well as just like promotionally with the personal brands. It's, a, it's, it's really fun. I can't wait to get into it and, and hear what you have to say. One of the things Thank that I'd know. love to sort of start with here is what are the typical issues that people are complaining about when they tend to talk to you or, or show up to, to the work you're doing? So it's kind of
0: changed over the years, Martin. So as you probably know, I work in the space of career consulting, and specifically, I focus on people who are navigating career transitions. And I've done this work now for about a decade. There are some things that have been pretty consistent in terms of what people have come to me about. And then there have been some things that have emerged as a result of the pandemic. So typically, over the years, what I've talked with people about are things related to job dissatisfaction, not feeling like the work you're doing is aligned to your strengths, your interests, your talents, your skills. Uh, Making sure that you're doing work that you find meaningful, making sure that you're in a profession that allows you to live the kind of life that you feel good about, both personally and professionally. I'd say recently, since I'd say 2021, there's been a little bit more of a thirst for doing more meaningful work. I think there's also been sort of this, I guess, awakening that people have had over the past couple years as we've been dealing with the pandemic, different ways of working, people's um, now uh, having their, their eyes opened to different ways, more flexible ways of working. And so now that they've seen that that's possible, going back to just the way things were doesn't seem to be as palatable for people.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. That, I like how you said that the palatability, (laughs) um, when it comes to doing meaningful work, I think that that's such like a, a big thing for some people to wrap their heads around. I think they know maybe they're unhappy, but what would you say makes work meaningful for people?
0: Well, there's a couple things, Martin. I'd say number one is doing work that you feel makes the most of who you are. I think personally, I can, I can talk from personal experience that when you're not doing work that you feel makes the most of your talents, your interests, your skills, your strengths, that's really frustrating on a day-to-day basis to not feel like you're doing work that you're well-positioned to do. I think the other thing that makes work meaningful is, um, and this I think is unique to each individual, but trying to make your unique contribution to society to people around you to the world around you it doesn't mean that you have to be involved in, in some sort of um, I don't know green initiative or it doesn't necessarily mean you need to work for an NGO or a nonprofit. but just doing work that you feel is having some sort of a meaningful impact in your world however small or big you want to define your world yeah, I like that.
1: It it really is about that meaning piece. And it's kind of interesting when when working with people because you see it go in both directions, right? I've seen people go, you know, really hard into like the nonprofit world or education, and then they burn out in that space and they go, No, okay, now I gotta go corporate. And or then the next call I get on is someone in corporate going, No, I need to be somewhere that's more, you know, aligned with my values, and, and they're going, you know, the the nonprofit way um right what do you sort of see as the like driving emotions that people are feeling like we talked about that like not that not feeling that alignment and, and things like that but is it are people feeling angry fatigued are they feeling just you know we're in the in the world of maybe burnout or i think a lot of people that i come across are in the startup world and they feel like they've maybe been wrapped up in a bit of like narcissism or or things like that what are maybe some of the emotions that that you typically see emerging as people are trying to you know cope with these pretty pretty you know impactful moments of of transition
0: yeah well you're absolutely right martin that this career change journey this moment when you have this realization that you might be on the wrong path is quite emotional. I think a lot of times what happens is people talk about the mechanics or the practicalities of finding your next job, rewriting your CV or your resume, writing a good cover letter, interviewing effectively. But there is this really significant emotional arc that people go through and, and they actually go through these stages of career change. And it starts in quite a benign fashion. It goes from maybe people just feeling a little bit, maybe disillusioned with their jobs, feeling like they they maybe dislike their job, that they're maybe on the wrong career path to that then evolving into full-blown dismay, where they realize that they're on the wrong career path. They look up to the left, to the right in their organization. They look at their manager's manager's role. They realize they don't want to have anything to do with that role. And then that dismay can eventually result in people trying to Fix things, uh, either through doing a side project or doing an evening uh, class or finding some way to offset the lack of fulfillment they're feeling in their day job. But what happens is, and this is typically where I cross paths with people, Martin, is they reach this point of exhaustion, and that's both physical and it's also psychological and emotional. Where you're physically tired, your your work is draining you. You are emotionally spent. You basically spend your evenings and weekends recuperating and recovering and rejuvenating from your job. And most people, once they reach this point, and I think it really sometimes requires that people reach this really low point, only then do they, do they have this realization that, gosh, I gotta change. I cannot keep going on like this. I got people around me telling me that I'm not a very fun person to be around. I'm not sleeping well. I'm in bad shape physically and emotionally, and I gotta, I gotta make a change. And that's that's typically where I cross paths with people.
1: Yeah, I, I love that you identified that the physical markers, because I think we don't always identify those as strongly, right? Like, you know, when people start getting insomnia, when people start getting You know, maybe they I remember in one job I had, I was just so stressed out about it. And, you know, projects kept getting canceled and you kept spending all this time, like putting all this energy into something that two months later didn't even exist. And you're like, what's going on? And I just remember when I did leave that job, I was 20 pounds heavier and I had no clue while I was in it that anything was even happening. It's like this subtle in the background, yeah. slow change that happens, right? And so like, what are the, maybe sure. those other physical markers that, that people should look
0: out for? You're absolutely right, Martin, about this evolution that happens. This is what's really scary about our work because we're spending, well, most people are spending the majority of their waking hours at their workplace physically, or at least doing the work that they're getting paid to do. And so the scary thing is that, you don't actually realize all the time how much your work is changing you, but it is. It's really, sometimes in some cases you're forced to change because you've got to behave a certain way that aligns with those types of behaviors that are getting rewarded by your organization. And so whether you like it or not, you've got to evolve. And sometimes those are in ways that you don't necessarily feel are in line with who you want to be. But we're talking about things like people And I I talk about these things. I've I've gone through this myself. When I was in a corporate job, I didn't like it very much. Um, These are things that I hear from other people that I've experienced myself, like not being a very pleasant person to be around, being in a bad mood all the time, having people around you tell you that you're in a foul mood. I remember my my wife once told me that I I was just basically complaining about my job all the time. And that's not fun for your partner to hear, things that you mentioned, Martin, like your physical condition, just getting worse, not having the energy to exercise, not having time to exercise, not being able to sleep very well, literally being kept up at night um, and just not being able to recuperate. So yeah, it's basically just not being a very fun person <laughs> to be around anymore. Yeah. People and, always
1: talk about those like Sunday scaries. Right. And like, Yeah, there's these like tropes that that we all hear about, but we kind of just think, well, there's kind of two ways that I see people think about it. One, they're the only one going through it, and they feel incredibly alone and isolated. Or two, they're like, that's just Mm -hmm. what a job is; it's just pain. So, you know, what have you sort of seen with that?
0: So, I have crossed paths with a lot of different people who have been in that place at some point. Many of the people I interview on my podcast will say that at some point in their life, they probably had this belief that their job was basically something that just paid the bills or it wasn't something that necessarily was supposed to feel very good or it wasn't necessarily supposed to be something that meant a lot to you. But if you talk to people who have relaunched their careers, what you will hear consistently, is that these people shift their belief going from, okay, it's just a job to actually, you know what? I, I can actually have a job that's meaningful and rewarding and a job doesn't have to feel like a job. And, and it's funny because you almost feel guilty when you're, when you're doing work that's enjoyable because you, you're so programmed to believe that job, your job has got to be hard. It's got to be unpleasant, but actually it can be really enjoyable. And the people who, do work that they, um, w- where I would consider they are well-placed, actually find their work to be very energizing. They don't find it draining. They look forward to going to work on Monday. They, uh, the hours fly by. They very much feel like they're in the zone. So it can happen. It's just, it, it's not always the first job that you have. And oftentimes it takes a while to figure out um, how to get to that place. I
1: love that you just phrased it that way, that we're programmed to think that it has to be painful. This was actually a conversation I had in a group call recently where I, I almost feel like people think the job search also has to be painful um, and that making these career transitions, like if they don't go through hell to get to the other side then they didn't actually do it right or something like that. And yeah. it is kind of fascinating to see that happen. And, I'm, you know, sometimes we even make it harder on ourselves, right? Like, what, what would you say are the parts of the job search that take the largest toll on people, maybe even unnecessarily? Well, what are the typical issues that people are complaining about when they tend to talk to you or, or show up to, to the work you're doing?
0: So it's kind of changed over the years, Martin. So as you probably know, I work in the space of career consulting, and specifically, I focus on people who are navigating career transitions. And I've done this work now for about a decade. There are some things that have been pretty consistent in terms of what people have come to me about. And then there have been some things that have emerged as a result of the pandemic. So typically, over the years, what I've talked with people about are things related to Job dissatisfaction, not feeling like the work you're doing is aligned to your strengths, your interests, your talents, your skills, Uh, making sure that you're doing work that you find meaningful, making sure that you're in a profession that allows you to live the kind of life that you feel good about, both personally and professionally. I'd say recently, since I'd say 2021, there's been a little bit more of a thirst for doing more meaningful work. I think there's also been sort of this, I guess, awakening that people have had over the past couple years as we've been dealing with the pandemic, different ways of working, people's um, now uh, having their, their eyes opened to different ways, more flexible ways of working. And so now that they've seen that that's possible, going back to just the way things were doesn't seem to be as palatable for people. A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. That I like how you said that the palatability, (laughs) um, when it comes to doing meaningful work, I think that that's such like a, a big thing for some people to wrap their heads around. I think they know maybe they're unhappy, but what would you say makes work meaningful
0: for people? Well, there's a couple things, Martin. I'd say number one is doing work that you feel makes the most of who you are. I think personally, I can, I can talk from personal experience that when you're not doing work that you feel makes the most of your talents, your interests, your skills, your strengths, that's really frustrating on a day-to-day basis to not feel like you're doing work that you're well-positioned to do. I think the other thing that makes work meaningful is, um, and this I think is unique to each individual, but trying to make your unique contribution to Society, to people around you, to the world around you. It doesn't mean that you have to be involved in, in some sort of, um, I don't know, green initiative, or it doesn't necessarily mean you need to work for an NGO or nonprofit, but just doing work that you feel is having some sort of a meaningful impact in your world, however small or big you want to define your world.
1: Yeah, I like that. It, it really is about that meaning piece. And it's kind of interesting when when working with people, because you see it go in both directions, right? I've seen people go, you know, really hard to like the nonprofit world or education. And then they burn out in that space and they go, no, okay, now I got to go corporate. and Or then the next call I get on is someone in corporate going, no, I need to be somewhere that's more, you know, aligned with my values. And, and they're going, you know, the, the nonprofit way um right what do you sort of see as the like driving emotions that people are feeling like we talked about that like not that not feeling that alignment and and things like that but is it are people feeling angry fatigued are they feeling just you know where in the in the world of maybe burnout or i think a lot of people that i come across are in the startup world and they feel like they've maybe been wrapped up in a bit of like narcissism or or things like that what are maybe some of the emotions that that you typically see emerging as people are trying to you know cope with these pretty pretty you know impactful moments of of transition
0: yeah well you're absolutely right martin that this career change journey this moment when you have this realization that you might be on the wrong path is quite emotional. I think a lot of times what happens is people talk about the mechanics or the practicalities of finding your next job, rewriting your CV or your resume, writing a good cover letter, interviewing effectively. But there is this really significant emotional arc that people go through and, and they actually go through these stages of career change. And it starts in quite a benign fashion. It goes from maybe people just feeling a little bit, maybe disillusioned with their jobs, feeling like they they maybe dislike their job, that they're maybe on the wrong career path to that then evolving into full-blown dismay where they realize that they're on the wrong career path. They look up to the left, to the right in their organization. They look at their manager's manager's role. They realize they don't want to have anything to do with that role. And then that dismay can eventually result in people trying to fix things uh, either through doing a side project or doing an evening uh, class or finding some way to offset the lack of fulfillment they're feeling in their day job. But what happens is, and this is typically where I cross paths with people, Martin, is they reach this point of exhaustion and that's both physical and it's also psychological and emotional, where you're physically tired. your your work is draining you, you, are emotionally spent. You basically spend your evenings and weekends recuperating and recovering and rejuvenating from your job. And most people, once they reach this point, and I think it really sometimes requires that people reach this really low point, only then do they do they have this realization that, gosh, I gotta change. I cannot keep going on like this. I got people around me telling me that I'm not a very fun person to be around. I'm not sleeping well. I'm in bad shape physically and emotionally and I gotta I gotta make a change and that's that's typically where I cross paths with people
1: yeah, I, I love that you identified that the physical markers because I think we don't always identify those as strongly, right like you know when people start getting insomnia when people start getting, you know, maybe they I remember in one job I had I was just so stressed out about it and you know projects kept getting canceled and you kept spending all this time like, putting all this energy into something that two months later didn't even exist. And you're like, what's going on? And I just remember when I did leave that job, I was 20 pounds heavier. And I had no clue while I was in it that anything was even happening. It's like this subtle in the background, slow change that happens, right? And so like, what are those other physical markers that, that people should look out for?
0: You're absolutely right, Martin, about this evolution that happens. This is what's really scary about our work, because We're spending, well, most people are spending the majority of their waking hours at their workplace physically, or at least doing the work that they're getting paid to do. And so the scary thing is that you don't actually realize all the time how much your work is changing you, but it is. One of the hardest parts of looking for a job is just the, well, there's two parts really. There's first of all, figuring out what it is that you really want to do, which is a really hard question to answer. It's one of those chicken or egg things until you are in the job, you don't really know what it's like. And that can feel really paralyzing because you feel like you've got to make the perfect choice. And so I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves to make the perfect next move, especially if they aren't feeling very satisfied in their current job, because the last thing you want to do is make the same mistake again. So Mm -hmm. those types of people are being especially careful about um, about making sure that they don't make the same mistake. So there's that, there's figuring out what to do. There's also just the inevitable process of finding a job that takes longer than you probably have envisioned when you started. I think most people feel like within a few weeks, they're gonna find their next job. And, and even in the back of your head, if you think it's gonna take longer, you don't really want it to take longer. So, so when... You go through this period um, where you're just not getting the traction that you had hoped to get. What tends to happen is you start doubting whether this effort is even worth it. You start doubting whether you are applying to roles that you realistically can get. So maybe you need to rethink your expectations, and and maybe you don't want to go for your dream job, and you just got to settle for um, a job that's okay, that's tolerable, and. Also, I think people just run out of steam. Uh, It's hard to apply to jobs. It's hard when you don't hear anything back. It's hard when you go 95% of the way through the interview process, you get to the last round and then you still don't get the job. So that's really frustrating. So I think it's like anything else that involves an inevitable amount of rejection. And um, those people who can stick with it tend to eventually have a breakthrough.
1: Yeah, and you know, even in your story and and in in the story that my my career changes as well, I think one of the interesting things is you don't you don't always make the right move the first time, right? Like it's directionally right. correct, but it maybe isn't the end of the line, right? Because I know in your story you've made multiple career changes, right? Big ones too. Yeah. And I think like I, I always love the story in your TED talk where you talk about you know selling the floppy disks as a kid and things like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> and like. You know, you, it kind of, when we do start making these moves in the right direction, it kind of brings back memories from other parts of our lives. And I think that that's maybe one of those signs that's really good to look out for as well as like almost reconnecting with parts of yourself that maybe hadn't been allowed to flourish in, in the roles that you've had so far. Uh, what was yeah. that like for you? What were maybe some of those things that you reengaged with? in
0: in your own life as you made these different career transitions. So you mentioned the floppy disks and just to help listeners maybe understand what in the world (laughs) that that (laughs) was referencing. So back, so, so back when I was in high school, I grew up in a, town in Missouri called Springfield, grew up in Springfield, Missouri. At that moment in my life, I was uh, in high school and was in my teenage years, had all intentions to go to medical school, but uh, there was a little side project that I engaged with. I used to love computers and tinkering with computers when I was growing up. My uncle actually um, gave me my first computer or gave us our first family's computer in it was probably the early nineties. It was like a a 386 computer that, that is not going to meet anything (laughs) to most listeners here today, but like ran on MS DOS. It was like windows 3.1. And at the time people were using floppy disks to transfer media. And so I started this little business in the, in the bottom or basement at at home where I was just selling and reselling blank floppy disks. So I just buy them in bulk and resell them. And, um, I loved it. I loved the, the process of coming up with the business idea. It was, it was a simple resale idea coming up with um, like the marketing of it, which was basically just promoting it on the predecessor to the internet, which was called bulletin board systems at the time. And, and yeah, even, even things like customer service and checking in on clients who bought (laughs) probably just out of sympathy, bought, bought discs from me instead of going to a place like Best Buy and, and then I kind of just shut that down, both mentally um, and, and also practically. I literally shut it down and spent the next few years focused on medical school. And it wasn't until I eventually left medical school behind. I went to the Georgetown School of Medicine. I dropped out after two weeks after realizing I was on the wrong path. And then it wasn't until a few years later that I actually went and did my MBA Got involved with entrepreneurship studies there and marketing. And then the rest of my career, I basically focused on business. But you're right, Martin, about us needing to allow ourselves to, to go and do these things. I was just actually, I was just back at at Northwestern, just I went to Northwestern University for undergrad. I think you and I were talking about that. Yeah. Before. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. I was just back in Evanston, literally two weeks ago. And walking around campus, I just realized that I didn't do a lot of the things that you were just alluding to, which was to allow myself to explore there. I just, I just shut it. I just completely shut it down. I was just so singular fo- singularly focused on achieving one specific career goal. And I think it's so important that um, having been through that process, it's really important that people try to allow themselves to dabble in those areas that were interesting to them before they, felt like they had to go in a certain direction? What are the things that you felt were just naturally engaging to you as a kid? And uh, another example, I used to like to record uh, oddly. It's a weird thing for a kid to do, but at least like recording my voice into a tape recorder that my mom bought. And I would record commercials off the television and I would record music. And I just loved like recording it and playing it back. It was the weirdest hobby ever. I used to do it in the closet in my bedroom. (laughs) And then you jump forward a couple of decades and now, now I'm doing a podcast and I love doing it. So I do think that there's a lot of clues in our childhood about what we could do that would be fulfilling.
1: That's so funny that you bring up the tape recorder. I had one of those like little handheld ones, right, with the tiny little yeah. tape decks, and I oh, would do the, the same micro- thing. Yes, right. Yeah, and I would yeah. I would record journals in like voice journals, and I have no idea where they are these today. I would love to get my hands yeah. on that again. Um, but yeah, as you just triggered that again, it's funny that we both have podcasts at this point like
0: That is funny. It's funny. <laughs> not it's not a coincidence, I think. Right. I think these things are clues. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they really are because it's it's kind of
1: taking yourself back to a time when you were allowed to be a little bit more selfish and I think that's one yeah. of the things that like um and not selfish in a bad way like selfish in that like right now if you try to make that career changer you say I want more like you said it's like it brings up a lot of doubt and it brings up a lot of guilt to even want that stuff and I yeah. don't think as kids you're sitting around going like oh no I'm being selfish like like now people will say that I need to be more selfish, like and they like actively try <laughs> right. to be more selfish, right? But as a kid, you're just like, no, I'm just into things, and you just do things because you have you're bored and you don't have you know yeah. the weight of the world on you yet. And like right, that is such a big thing. I actually have like a bunch of notes on my desk of things that people say in my coaching sessions, and one of them is be more selfish next to one that says F you. (laughs) Because that's what the person (laughs) wanted to say to someone at their job. But um, Uh I do think that it's kind of interesting to like help people deal with that doubt and that guilt and then reconnect with those natural tendencies. As you were kind of going through your transitions, when that doubt and guilt showed up, how did you handle it? What were some of the You know, strategies that you employed. Did you journal? Did you, you know, work through it in in other ways? What were some of the ways you dealt with that emotional roller
0: coaster? So I actually did keep a journal for a really long time in my life, all the way back from my junior high years when I was, I think I started a journal when I was 12, right around there, maybe 13 or 14, something like that. And I actually do think that journaling is a really useful way to reground yourself. It forces you to stop and to just spend a little time with yourself and get what's in your head onto a piece of paper. And that can be really useful. I am someone who's quite, um, I guess, analytical in my thinking. In fact, I probably err on the side of overanalyzing my decisions. So I am very prone to second guessing myself. And I know that when I was, for example, thinking about moving from medicine into business, I had a really hard time just stomaching that idea because I'd spent so long assuming I was going to go into the healthcare arena. So I actually, I went through this stage, which I call the mitigation stage when people are trying to almost revert back to what they were doing before. And so I thought about going into psychology. I thought about being being an emergency medical technician riding in the back of ambulances, and I suppose it's it's just important at those times to um, just allow yourself to to just evolve and to I mean it sounds e- easier said than done, but um, to just realize that you're going to change and your interests are going to evolve and you yourself need to allow yourself to evolve and sometimes what I do that I find useful during these times is to to not analyze it myself, but actually talk with somebody about it. So whether it's professionally a coach, or even just even just reconnecting with friends who are not related to your profession, but who know you well, can be really useful. Um, so that's something that can be useful to do. I also think it's the final thing I'll say about this is I think it's useful to have some point of inspiration, because uh, inspiration is really that fuel that keeps you going when you are doubting yourself and it, it sounds kind of touchy feely, but it's useful to try to identify somebody who's doing the kind of things that you want to do, who's doing the work that you aspire to do and to just listen to them talk. Um, you don't need to get advice from them one-on-one, but I, I found it really useful to listen to other podcasts, um, to, li- to listen to people who, who had the kind of lives and careers that I aspire to have myself. And that point of inspiration can be really useful when you're feeling doubtful. About your choices. Who are some of those people for you? So there was a guy who um, is named Scott Britton, and he was a he was a really huge positive influence on my life. He is a guy who used to host a podcast called The Competitive Edge, and that was actually the inspiration for me to start my own podcast. Scott Britton is is now a guy who is the co founder of a company called Troops, and he. He also is hosting a new podcast now that I don't remember the title off the top of my head, but it relates to human relationships in the workplace. And so Scott Britton was somebody, he basically would have conversations like the ones that we're having with people who he found um, inspirational, helpful, useful, um, to smart people out there. And I would just listen to those conversations and I would find them to be Really clarifying and really illuminating. Um, another guy who, who sadly has passed away, is is named is Scott Dinsmore, and he founded an organization called Live Your Legend. This was many years ago, and unfortunately, he passed away uh, after a climbing. Uh, he, he wasn't even climbing. I think he was he was hiking through the mountains with his. Um, I don't remember if they were married or not at the time, girlfriend or, or wife. And uh, he sadly passed away because he was actually living the life that he wanted to live. And he was traveling the world. And he, he sadly died during that time. But I watched his talk, his TED talk about doing meaningful work. And that was a huge inspiration to me to leave the corporate world behind and to not spend my days tolerating my job, but to actually make the effort to find more meaningful work for myself. So those are just a couple people who've had a really big positive impact on me. I love that.
1: Yeah. I I really do agree with you. You really have to find those people who are doing the work that you wish you were doing without that. I feel like we all just get really sort of disconnected in an odd way. Um, I always make the joke, like don't watch mad men and and then think you want (laughs) to be in advertising, like go talk to real people who work in advertising. And so I, I know in some of Uh, you know, the videos you've put out and the work you've done, you you do sort of help people look at it both in the macro and in the micro. And so, you know, not everyone is maybe in a place where they can just blow up their whole life and start fresh, right? Uh, Probably most people aren't. And so what are some of the different macro and micro ways to look at a career transition in order to do it in a healthy way, let's say? Um, rather than maybe just like burning tons of bridges <laughs> and, yeah, and right. maybe finding yourself in a pretty pretty tough spot.
0: Yeah, so I am in I'm one of those people who has really never had the luxury of just <laughs> burning the bridges and uh, you know uh, sailing across to the other side of the world and like the Hollywood version of relaunching your career is not one that I can certainly pull off. It's not one that the average person I run across. Can, can execute. And so there's a couple things to think, of, to think about when you're, when you're thinking about how to do this in a manageable, sustainable way, as you, as you mentioned, Martin. And so the, the first thing is to, first of all, try to get some clarity around where you want to take your career, broadly speaking. And I, I always try to get people to move off of this idea of trying to discover your passion and focus a little bit more on just broadly speaking, what do you find more energizing? What do you find naturally exciting? What gives you energy What rather than depletes your energy? And to use that as a, a broad guide, it's not going to be a precise compass that points you precisely where you want to go, but to almost remove the, the burden and the pressure and the daunting nature of having to identify the perfect career for yourself. And, and to think where can I broadly move my career that I think is gonna be broadly speaking a positive step for me. And then from there, to try to make manageable leaps in that direction. So to, to avoid making this radical leap that... Um, I understand that it does require a leap of faith sometimes to change careers, but I think it needs to be done in a manageable way that, that is not gonna stress you out too much. So to think, okay, is there some small step that I can take? Maybe it's an evening class. Maybe it's upskilling in a certain area that I may be interested in. Maybe it's just conducting informational interviews with people who are working in this space that I'm considering as one of the directions I want to take my career. And and making these manageable steps or manageable leaps that broadly move you in the direction you want to go. And then the final thing to, to consider is this, pace the pacing of this and to just remind yourself that there are very few overnight successes and there is there's actually there's a there's a book out there called great by choice written by a guy named jim collins and he talks about this concept of the 20 mile march and without going into too much detail on the chapter he just he talks about these teams who are trying to get to and from the south pole and The team that ends up committing to going 20 miles every single day, no matter the conditions, ends up eventually getting there. So trying to figure out what is going to be your 20-mile march, what is going to be the cadence you're going to maintain that you feel is realistic, that's sustainable, that's actually enjoyable during the process, and to not overextend yourself, to to not kill yourself while you're doing it. Because that's not going to be fun. You're going to burn out, and you're probably not going to make very much progress that way.
1: Yeah, and, and that is one of the things that I think is interesting about the follow your passion, let's say, um, uh, internet ethos. Because um, it it is sort of one, you know, passion is, is, is a flame, right? It gets really hot and yeah, then it right. goes away, right? Like that's why they say, you know, in relationships is like, yeah, passion's good, but passion doesn't like, it's not the thing that's going to keep it together. And so I think the yeah. same thing with our careers, right? It's like, if you just quickly jump towards the passion and it burns out, or you maybe just are like passionate about lots of different things, which a lot of people say, or it's funny, it's either way too many things or like not enough things. That's always how it is. Right. But um, that is what tends to burn people out. And I think um, one of the stories that's missing in this like internet ethos of follow your passion is like, not everyone succeeds at that. Like that is like right. a high risk um, maybe high reward, but like, you know, uh, for every hundred people that want to be a comedian, how many people actually make it. Right. It doesn't mean you shouldn't yeah. try, but it's like, wh- how are you going to try? Right. Like, what are you going to do to make that happen? And I think that that's one of the things that's always, I, I you know, I came across again, that phrase of like, don't have a plan B to fall back on. Right. And it's like, Kill your plan B, burn everything behind you. It's like you're either going to succeed or you're not, and it's very you know prevalent in the acting, like uh, you know, yeah. entertainment space. But I do feel like it has seeped into like everything to some degree, and people mm. sort of have that feeling of like I can't have a plan B. And this goes back to your perfection point. It's like I need a perfect job or I, it's all over. Like, I'll have people say, yeah. I need to work at Google, or I, I don't even know what I do with my career. And it's like, <laughs> there's so many things to do. Yeah, so a lot what, of pressure. Yeah. That's what cool. are your thoughts on like, having a plan B, having a plan C? Like, what, where does that kind of land for you?
0: I'm a huge fan of having a plan B. And it's not, it's not because I, I'm, I'm a big believer in this concept of trying to gain leverage on yourself, which I, I think is another way of, of describing what you're talking about, which is to basically say, hey, it's all or nothing. I'm doing this. I if if I don't resign, you tell your friends to write a letter and send it for you by a certain date. And that's called gaining leverage on yourself because it'll force you to take action. I see the power in that. And I I I can see how that would prevent you from procrastinating. However, having a plan B, having a plan C is really useful for a couple of reasons one is because at a very practical level it just gives you a fallback in case things don't go according to plan and in my life a lot in most people's lives things don't tend to go exactly as you plan them to go so it's nice to know from a practical standpoint that you're not going to be out of a job um, that you're you're going to be uh, you're not going to be starving you're you're going to be able to make ends meet and i think that there's a bare minimum amount of income you need to have coming in before you start to feel super stressed out there's that, but there's a, there's a more subtle reason why, why having a plan B is useful, and that is because it removes some of the desperation that can come through in subtle ways, but also in explicit ways. So, For example, if you, you're starting your own business and you're trying to get new clients, if you've got no plan B, if you're not diversified in terms of your income stream, there's a lot riding on every single client out there. And you're going to want to convert every one of those clients. By having that plan B, it removes that desperation. And it means that you can also show up in a way where you don't come across as desperate. And generally speaking, people don't react that well to desperation. And so you can come across more confidently. And that in turn tends to create more of a virtuous cycle. The same thing, you know, interviewing at Google, if this is your only i i can i can appreciate the passion and the singular interest it's just um there's a fine line between that and coming across as as desperate and uh, this is the only thing that's going to work out for you if it doesn't work out you're going to have major problems in your life so yeah, i'm a huge fan of the plan b and plan c and to be clear on Which companies fall into which tiers? And at what stage in your job search are you right now? Maybe right now you're you're just searching for your dream jobs, but at some point you're going to need to shift to your plan B companies. And just knowing where you are in your process can be helpful.
1: We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now back to our show. I really like that. Yeah. And it's funny because I think back to my life and my career. And every once in a while I'm like, man, I took a lot of risks. But I also, they were very calculated. Like I knew exactly how much money I had until like crisis mode. I I always had an idea of like what the the fallback would be. I, I remember when when my buddies and I got really into entrepreneurship in our mid-20s, we we're like in early 20s, we were like, we could always just go back to a corporate job. Like that's not. That's, that's, that's always there. And I I don't know if it's always there. Maybe if you've been doing wild stuff for 10 years, it it goes away eventually. And, you know, now that I'm, you know, moving into my thirties, it, it maybe is harder and harder to go back and and do that kind of stuff. But then, but then you, you wouldn't want to at that point anyway, because you've already built up such a knowledge base of what you could be slash should be slash would be doing otherwise. And that's now, you know even though I don't necessarily need a plan B right this second, I, I still know what all my plan B's would be. And it's kind of yeah. cool. Like it's, it's, it is sort of in the back of your head at all times. And it gives you that confidence. And I think I'm really appreciative that you hit on uh, desperation and confidence. Cause I think those are like the two extremes of the job search. It's, and, and it really is where everyone lives. Like You know, anyone who's going through this is probably dealing with rejection, is probably dealing with stuff that they typically will never deal with um, on a regular basis. Uh, I just read this article about somebody's like, I'm 43, and this is my second job interview in my entire life. He's like, I'm freaking freaking (laughs) out, right? And so like that, one of the big things I think we do as coaches is just sort of help people calm down and get from that desperation to confidence um, because it is so... It's what everyone's looking at. I think most people Mm -hmm. think that companies and when you're in an interview, they're looking for expertise. And although that's an element of what they're looking for, what they're really looking for in my mind is like, they just want to be confident in you. They want to, they want you to instill confidence in them, but you have to have it in yourself Mm -hmm. first. So what are some of the ways that you've seen people really build confidence in, in the work you've done with them?
0: Confidence is is super important, Martin. So yeah, you're right. It's it's for both yourself and it's also so that you can then project that confidence to other people. And what's interesting is that the the hardest person to convince oftentimes is yourself. And so, confidence is is one of the keys to making a career pivot. And 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 so I wish I had a I wish I had a silver bullet or like kind of a <laughs> yeah. a magic answer for how people get confidence. There are a couple ways I've notice that people have amassed additional confidence. One of them is, is just uh, knowing that the choices that you're making are right for you is, is a really important part of that. And that relates to figuring out what's important to you and deciding what you wanna have more of. and And so a lot of confidence I find relates to how somebody knows that they're on the right track in their career. And just to give a specific example, one way to know that you're on the right track in your career or the right track that you want to take your career is how do you define wealth in your life? And you might think, well, what in the world does wealth have to do with confidence? And and actually, it has a lot to do with confidence in terms of how you define wealth. So if you define Most of the time, people, when they define wealth, they talk about things like material possessions, money, assets, corporate perks, even. But for other people, they define wealth more around just the things they want to have more of. And that could be to have more time, to have better work-life balance, to be able to tuck their kids in at night, an additional X number of days each work week. It could be being able to to take care of themselves, being able to spend time with people they love. So getting really clear on what matters to you, what you want to have more of can then give you the confidence to know that you're on the right track in your career if you're pursuing those things. So that's one of the ways that I found that people gain confidence. And the other one to mention is just going back to what you mentioned earlier, was just giving yourself the permission almost to experiment a little bit, to experiment without expectation, to experiment without placing a tremendous amount of weight on the outcomes of that experimentation, but to just allow yourself to dabble a little bit and to dip your toe in and kind of see what sticks and see what resonates with you before you then put all your eggs into the basket of pursuing that path that maybe strikes a chord with you. So starting small and um, yeah not putting all your eggs in one basket, I think is important.
1: I like that. I think dabbling is so incredibly important. what what for you like what are maybe some examples of of dabbling that people have done that you've worked with that that you think, would be sort of you know directional for people because I think when people think of dabbling, they go straight to like hobbies and then hobbies is turning my hobby into a into a, a business and then turning my hobby. and now all of a sudden I have a yarn business, that, you know, right. that I don't know how to manage right. <laughs> so like, what yeah. does dabbling actually look like in your mind?
0: So there's a few ways that dabbling can 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 manifest, and I'm just I'm just kind of mentally going through the different people in my in, who I've interviewed on my podcast and thinking about the ways that they've that they've done things. So 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 I'm thinking about somebody who who was on my show um her name was Mai Lai. She's based in London. She used to work in marketing and now she's gotten involved with things like voice acting. She's gotten involved with a little bit of modeling. And so in, in her case the dabbling that she did was she just kind of put herself out there. She she literally just uh, if, if you listen to the episode, she literally just put together a demo tape and just sent it out to a few people and without necessarily expecting that anything would happen. She got a friend to take a few headshots of her, sent it off to a couple agents and uh, just to kind of see what would happen. And sure enough, a couple people bit and, and then she started getting involved with that. Um, another thing that she did, I'm just going to stick with her for a second is she, I think she took a screenwriting course. So another way that this can manifest is actually taking, taking some sort of a course or it's taking some sort of a class an evening class an online class. The, the other, the other ways that people have, have dabbled have actually been to go and take a job in a, in a certain area. So, um, and sometimes it's right. And sometimes it's wrong. So I'm thinking about a guy who was on my show. He's based in Melbourne, Australia. The guy's name is Brad Stewart. And he used to be a tattoo artist. And then he ended up moving into marketing, but it, it didn't quite happen immediately. He he dabbled for a while in real estate, so residential real estate. He was He was doing real estate for a while, but that wasn't quite right for him but one of the things he realized that he liked about it was the marketing side of it and then eventually he moved into the financial services sector where he's now working as a marketing manager so so sometimes it's informal uh, where people are just doing it on the side may or may not relate to a hobby but just to test the waters and sometimes it's literally taking on a role and seeing how it goes or taking a part-time job and seeing how that sticks with you as you're trying to figure out what next, what to do next in your career. So I like yeah, that you're, yeah and, kind of
1: like- and it really does resonate because there's so many, when you're in a job and you start to identify with that job, you tend to kind of do it to the, you know, it, it, you would tend to ignore everything else because you're like, well, this is my identity and I'm not someone who do, does those things, right? That was for when I was younger. That was when I was in high school, whatever. And I do think that like, that ability to dabble on in things and like also not expect it to turn into something that, or in order to rephrase that, not be open to whatever it could be. Right. I, I remember when I started yeah. dabbling in things, cause I was kind of like, Oh, I, don't, I mean, my job is fine. I, I'm not going to quit or anything, but I, I, I wanted to do improv. I hadn't done that since high school. So I went and joined an improv uh, at IO in Chicago when it was still open mm-hmm. and I, I had no, I, you know, no aspirations to be an actor or anything. I didn't ever want to be in, in a group or on a stage or anything. I just wanted to take the class and it completely reshaped the way that I podcast. It, it reshaped the way that I, um, you know, even coach in a lot of ways mm. and, and the way that I communicate with people, I have a much more improvisational approach to life than I did prior to that class. And it wasn't, oh, I'm going to go be an actor now because that's not what I was looking to do. But it just gives you these skills that I think can apply in so many other ways and inform what you should be doing, even if it's not exactly that thing. And right now I'm taking um, dance lessons and I'm taking a class on how to create comic books and graphic novels. And, you know, I have no idea where those are going to go or what it's going to look like but uh, it it might just be a fun thing I do. It might be something that turns into something who knows, but it's all very exciting and it keeps your brain engaged in so many other ways. And I think that maybe we don't put enough, maybe we don't put enough weight or like thought into the idea that, you know, these other things make us better at what we do in our actual career as well. Um, Even if we don't necessarily make a huge career transition, it can inform what you should be doing in that job and i think one of the ways i like to think about that is let's say you're in a job and this happened to me at one point we took strength finders and i think you talked about the myers-briggs and i think it's always good to have yeah. those bits of data and i took the, the strength finders and all of my job responsibilities were at the bottom of the strength finders and none <laughs> of what i was good at was at the top and i was like uh-huh. should we change my job and they are like yeah well <laughs> you know we spent five grand, 10 grand on you taking that course and spent a week of time doing it, but we're not going to actually change anything in your job. And I was like, why do we do this? And so yeah. for me, I was like, right. all right, well, how do I get higher and higher up? And I think in my mind, when I think about this stuff, it's like by doing these dabbles, by playing around with these ideas, you can start to go, okay, I want my next role to be more of an 80, 20 split. where only 20% is what I'm terrible at rather than 80% being what I'm terrible at. And, uh, just kind of continuing to think about your your career in that way. It's like, how do you just get more of what you're good at into the majority of your job and less of what you're terrible at into the into the minority of your job? And, and a lot yeah. of these things can really help be that directional thing. Because I think in one of your talks, you mentioned how a lot of times people can um, make a pretty significant change without even making a huge shift, right? Like they can just change their yeah. responsibilities in their job. What, what have you sort of seen with that?
0: Yeah. So there are people who have decided that they need to make a change, but it doesn't mean that they change their location and industry and sector and organization and function and role. They've just made little tweaks. So, and sometimes this happens within an organization. Sometimes it happens when people um, take a break. From their job, and maybe they realize that, hey, it wasn't so bad. I'm just going to go back and 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 maybe have a different iteration of this. And so, so sometimes people will um, make a change to their their projects, or they might change the type of organization that they work for. Um, again, I'm just going through some of the different people who have who have been on my show, and and there was a guy who was who was working at Google. And um, he was involved with sales at Google, and he he eventually realized that he needed to take some time off, and he wanted to spend some time with his family. He had worked in marketing in the past for companies like Coca Cola, and um, he actually went off, and he realized that he liked marketing. He actually taught a course um, in marketing uh, at a local bu- at a local business school, um, and. He eventually, his name is David Polera, based in Toronto, Canada. He eventually went back and he he worked in marketing again, but he he went back to a a company called Hill Hill Street Beverages Company, which is a cannabis-infused beverage company. And it it was just shifting the type of product that he was marketing, and that was enough to to make him feel like the work he was doing was fulfilling again. Um, So sometimes it's just a change of the organization in some cases, I've crossed paths with people who have just changed locations and they've done pretty much the exact same work, but just that change in location was was helpful to them or even just shortening their commute can make a really big difference to somebody's overall lifestyle. So yeah, it, it doesn't have to be a radical um, wholesale change in every case.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that you know your path is an indicator of that, right? You've made multiple changes to get to where you are today. And, you know, who knows where that goes in the future, right? I'm I'm actually very curious to follow along and see what other big revelations you have over the years. But uh, when it comes to these changes and this like slow evolution of ourself through this process, what would you say are the biggest areas that you've evolved? Like, where would you say, looking back maybe 10, 15 years to today, Like what, what are those biggest changes? I I know we, you talked about how, like, maybe you complained a lot back in the day and maybe you don't complain as much (laughs) today, but like, what, what would you say are those like biggest evolutions or the things that you've noticed the most in your, in your day-to-day mentality or relationships or whatever it might be?
0: Great. That's a great question, Martin. So I guess I'll start with mindset and maybe my belief system around what, a career should look like. And I've, I feel like beliefs are really important because they drive our actions, which then eventually drive us achieving certain results, which then either reinforce or dilute those original beliefs that we, we had. And my beliefs when I was younger was that your job needed to be fairly linear. It needed to fit Nicely within a box that could be very easily labeled under a nicely, neatly packaged title, like a job title, like doctor or marketing manager. I, when I moved into the corporate world, felt like it was important to work for um, a reputable, well-known, global, globally recognized company. And I think that there, there were probably reasons for that because I was in the process of trying to establish myself as a marketer. In that world. Um, I believed that t- <laughs> my relative status to my peers mattered, that I needed to, to keep up with them, that I needed to keep pace with them. I believed that my salary should pretty much always go up with each subsequent role. Um, and that's really evolved over time. I think that the biggest shift has taken place as I've left the corporate world and now have worked independently for about a decade now running my own business. And my belief system is very different now around what a career should look like. So I no longer believe that your career needs to be linear. I don't believe that your career needs to be neatly packaged. I don't think you need to have just one job title. I care less about how I stack up versus other people. Sometimes people will tell me they work for a certain company with a certain title. And that used to kind of I guess affect my confidence around them. And these days I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really have any impact on me. I, I feel like your job title is only one part of who you are as an individual. And and I think by letting go of some of those more, I'm gonna call them more traditional beliefs, it's given me the space to have a more, I guess, well-rounded, more enriching, rewarding, enjoyable career. So um, when I think back to those days when I was working in the corporate world, not, not my, whole, my whole period of time in the corporate world, but toward the end, I was feeling pretty tired each day. I was working really long hours. I wasn't a very pleasant person to be around. I wasn't that happy. I um, didn't have a lot of energy, wasn't in the best shape of my life. Now, I feel like each day when I do my work, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really energized by my work. I've got flexibility um, in my schedule. I can just today, I, I spent <laughs> quite a bit of time with my wife. We actually kind of went on a date today um, for the first time in a really long time. And we, and we did that in the middle of a work day, knowing that, okay, we're going to have to work in the evening to make up for the time, but we could do that. Um, I can pick up my daughter from school in the afternoons. I could go to the playground with her in the afternoons. And those things are really important to me right now. So I feel better. I'm generally happier. I feel like I'm in a position where I can have a positive impact on people. And that focus on people feels better to me than that focus I used to have on trying to get people to buy more products. And um, there's nothing wrong with doing that if that's what you enjoy. It's just that at some point ran its course and I felt like I wanted to do something else. So yeah, I'm generally I feel a lot better these days, I think, for the most
1: part. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I resonate with so much of what you're saying there. And and I do hope that you know anyone listening really just sits down and, and asks themselves, like, what what are the things that I wish I was doing that I'm stopping myself from doing for whatever reason? And then, you know, definitely go seek out Joseph's stuff and, and listen to his videos. He's got a lot of really cool stuff to dig into. Um, as we wrap up the conversation here. Uh, you know, where can people find out more about you and what sort of things would you like to share with the community?
0: So I'll I'll just mention a couple things here, Martin. So if if you want to learn more about me, you can go to my website and that's josephlew.co. If you're interested in hearing more stories from everyday ordinary people who have relaunched their careers, as we've discussed today, I do host a podcast called Career Relaunch. And you can go to careerrelaunch.net to listen to the latest episodes. And the final thing I'll mention, which is, is kind of not typically the focus of my work. My work doesn't focus on, on world affairs, but at the same time, it feels strange not to at least acknowledge what's happening in Ukraine right now. And so um, cl- clearly my focus is on careers and career development and It's hard to ignore, beyond just the humanitarian crisis that's happening in the Ukraine. You've got millions of people's careers that have been upended very suddenly um, due to this recent invasion. And so I've actually tried to figure out what can I do to help. And and one small thing that I've done is I have set up a fundraising page um, where the donations go straight to to the Disasters Emergency Committee Ukraine Humanitarian Appeal. And this organization basically provides food, water, and shelter, along with health care to Ukrainian refugees and their displaced families as a result of uh, this, um, th- the recent invasion that happened at the end of February 2022. And so if you would like to make a donation, you can go to careerrelaunch.net slash Ukraine. And really any donation, big or small, can really make a big difference to somebody who's just trying to survive another day. And so um, I feel like we've got the luxury of sitting in our homes, having this conversation right now. And uh, I've made a donation myself. would we welcome other people doing that.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. And everyone, definitely, if that's, you know, take some time, go check it out and, and see if you can give, uh, if you can. I know not everyone's in a place to, but if you can, please try. And Joseph, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. There's so many incredible insights in here and I can't wait to share it out with everyone. And I I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Martin. Really nice to talk to you.
1: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.